0: A podcast one production. Hi, I'm Rosie Waterland. This is Mum Says My Memoir Is A Lie. You will gain 90 kilos and it will be the best thing that has ever happened to you. I officially knew my weight had gotten out of control when I realised I could no longer wipe my own ass. (laughs) I can't believe I admitted that in a book. I was so big that my arm was not physically long enough to reach under my belly and wipe the area behind my vagina, otherwise known as the butthole. For a while, I had solved the problem by hoisting one foot up on the toilet seat. That gave me a little wiggle room to reach down. But eventually, even that wasn't enough. I had actually reached the stage where if I needed to poo, I would have to take a shower afterwards. And I'd never had a more healthy sense of self-worth in my entire life. I couldn't wipe my own ass and I loved myself more than I ever had. After strutting out of the mental institution with my head held high, I had a minor setback and spent a week crying on my mum's couch. Then I had another minor setback and barely left my bedroom for three years. My bad. I somehow, miraculously, managed to finish university and walk away with a degree in creative writing. Then I got a job in a call centre so I would never have to see anyone and that became my life.' Go to work, answer phones, and by answer phones, I mean read the paper and hang up on people as soon as the call gets too difficult. Go home, eat myself into oblivion, throw up, watch TV, go to sleep. That was all I did for three years after the mental ward gave me a new lease on life. Don't get me wrong, I had learned a lot about myself during the time I spent self-reflecting there. Sighing and staring wistfully out of windows can actually be helpful. I'd also continued with weekly therapy, working really fucking hard to understand my fear of abandonment and PTSD symptoms. Mentally, I had reached a profound place. My panic attacks had mostly subsided, my anxiety was at an all time low, and I wasn't particularly depressed, unless, of course, the internet was out and I couldn't download 30 Rock. I spent those three years learning how to be my own saviour, how to feel comfortable being single, and how to be mentally healthy. But I was terrified to put any of these lessons into action. I felt like my life until that point had been one giant clusterfuck after another, and if I could just stay in my room and not rock the boat, then nothing could go wrong. I completely took myself out of the game, because you can't lose if you don't play. The weight gain began pretty much straight after leaving hospital. My disordered eating and messed up attitude towards food had started back with the I'm pretending to be worried about nutrition, but really you're just getting fat talk in drama school in 2006 – It was now 2013, and I'd been on a cycle of binging and purging and starving that entire time. I'd spend three days eating only apples. Then I'd be so starving that I'd stuff myself to the point of exploding and vomit everywhere. Whenever I was depressed, I'd buy ice cream with Ice Magic, and I wouldn't mess around. I'd eat an entire litre of vanilla with three bottles of topping. Then I'd spew in the empty container and hide it under my bed. There were times when I had vomit hidden in secret places all over my room. Eventually I'd screwed around with my body so badly that I developed hypothyroidism and completely fucked up my metabolism, which meant weight was easy to put on and very difficult to take off. The kilos started piling on at a scary rate. Even with the purging, which had kept me in a chubby but still kind of attractive safe zone in the past, I was just getting bigger and bigger." Before I knew it, I had gained 90 kilos, and that was the perfect excuse to never leave my room again. I kept promising myself that I would start living my life the way I had planned three years earlier, just as soon as I got my old body back. Being fat was my new shield against the world. And trust me, when you're fat, you need a shield. I was shocked by how differently I was treated as an obese person. People treat you as if you're subhuman. Particularly if you're a woman, since a woman's entire worth is almost always primarily based on her appearance. My very presence on earth seemed to offend people, particularly men. That I had the audacity to venture out in public as a fat woman really infuriated them. I was yelled at as I walked down the street, fat bitch being the most common. I was abused for taking up too much space on the bus. I was laughed at whenever I ate in public. Romantic attention was a thing of the past." I felt so stupid that I had never realised my looks played such a huge role in what people valued about me, and once they were gone, I began to seriously question whether I had anything to offer. Then I read a crappy article on the internet. I can't even remember what it was about, to be honest, probably 27 reasons why brunette Gen Wise should get married in winter or some bullshit, and it made a bell go off in my brain. I read it over and over, finding it so hard to believe that it had ever been published. Then I just thought, you know what, I can write a million times better than that. How come I'm not published on the internet? Then I remembered, oh, that's right, because your life revolves around waiting to stream your favourite TV shows and what takeout you're going to have for dinner. So, on a whim that afternoon, I wrote a piece for the internet. I made it purposefully provocative so that it had a chance of being published. I created a basic WordPress blog, registered the domain name rosywaterland.com and posted it. Then I sent a link to Australia's top women's website, Mamma Mia, and asked if they'd be interested in publishing it. I had no idea if you could just email editors like that, since I had studied creative writing at uni and not journalism, which basically meant I had no vocational skills whatsoever. I'd once handed in an assignment that listed 50 synonyms for the word vagina, said it was about minimalism and feminism, and got a high distinction. That's what my entire uni course was like, laughing my head off the night before an assignment was due, drinking half a box of wine, scribbling something onto the page, and thinking, how the fuck am I getting a degree out of this? Then I'd just shrug my shoulders and finish the rest of the wine." So, unlike the journalism graduates, I had very little clue about what approaching editors or publications entailed, or even how to write a proper column. I just went with my gut. That afternoon, I got an email reply from Mamma Mia's then managing editor, Jamila Rizvi. They loved my piece and wanted to publish it. I started to cry. I couldn't believe that I had barely dipped my toe in the water of life and already something positive had happened. This is the very first piece of mine that was ever professionally published. I once had a boyfriend who told me he thought I'd be less of a woman if I didn't want to give birth naturally. Of course, this was the same boyfriend who literally threw up a little the one time in our two year relationship I dared to fart in his presence, so in hindsight, he had some serious issues when it came to his ideas about women. I was telling him one day about my sister's experience with childbirth. She went through such excruciating pain during her labour that she still maintains with all seriousness that if someone hadn't been in the room with her the entire time, she would have jumped out the third-story window. I then went on to tell him that when I eventually get pregnant, I have a genius C-section slash tummy tuck plan that involves waking up with a gunk-free baby in a fluffy blanket sleeping peacefully next to me. Brilliant, no? I waited for him to applaud my practical approach to childbirth. He would never want the woman he loves to be in so much physical pain that she would jump out a third-story window, right? Unfortunately, the applause never came. Instead, there was some nervous laughter, followed by something along the lines of, but obviously you want to go through it, right? I mean, jokes aside, Rosie, it's important for a woman to experience birth the proper way. Oh, God, this, he was such an arsehole. He laughed, thinking I was kidding. I laughed, thinking he was kidding. Then, as it slowly dawned on each of us that the other was dead serious, we managed to say an awkward, wait, what, in unison before a very tense silence took hold of the room. Needless to say, we're no longer together, but it did plant a nagging seed in my mind that I still find difficult to get rid of. Am I the only one? The only woman with no qualms about planning a C-section in order to avoid pain and keep my lady parts intact? Is anyone else just not interested in pushing a baby out of their vagina? My ex-boyfriend isn't alone. I've had both male and female friends react strongly when I've told them of my future C-section plan. To me, well, for me, it's an absolute no-brainer. We no longer expect some poor chump to bite down on a leather strap and be brave while we amputate one of his limbs. So why do we still expect a woman to go through even worse agony to have a child? The hyperbolic rants I go on when I knock my elbow should be some indication of how I handle pain. Not well, evidently. I can't imagine myself in the throes of baby delivering. I think my birthing anxiety stems back to a book my mum left on the bottom shelf when I was in kindergarten. It was for expectant mothers and had lots of extremely graphic pictures of women with 80s haircuts and twisted faces pushing out babies. And did I mention graphic? All I knew was this thing I currently identified as wee-wee was eventually going to be ripped apart while I lay with my legs in the air on some bed of excruciating pain. I'm guessing that's the reason I never associated childbirth as some kind of romantic female rite of passage. But don't get me wrong, I absolutely respect the women who do want to give birth the old-fashioned way. In fact, I think any woman who gives it a go deserves some kind of prize. I know the baby should be prized enough and blah, 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 but I'm thinking more in ASOS voucher. In fact, any woman who gives birth in any kind of way deserves a prize. Let's not forget the residual pain of a C-section that many women love to remind me about. Even those lottery-winning ladies of legend who orgasmed during childbirth had to carry the thing around for nine months. I guess the trick lies in finding a partner who has the same push values as you do. Because no matter what way a woman decides to remove an entire person from her body, that decision should be accepted with the utmost respect and enthusiasm, and absolutely no comment on your perceived notion of her level of womanhood. I may not get the appeal of pushing, you may not get the appeal of having a massive gash healing across your stomach for months just to avoid labour. Does it matter? Everyone has a thousand sleepless nights and nappies to look forward to, so what's the difference really? I cringe a little reading it now. I cringe a lot reading that now. But all I really wanted was to make people laugh. Actually, because it was the internet and the internet is a cesspool of bored hatred trolls, it ended up making most people really angry, all of whom decided to send me an email, which I fucking loved. After that article, I sent Mamma Mia another and another and another. I was publishing on my blog quite frequently and it was starting to build up a little following of its own. No doubt helped by my friend Tony tweeting things like, Justin Bieber and Selena Gomez baby? This source says so, followed by a link to my blog. I may have got a lot of clicks from disappointed tweens, but at least they were clicks. I loved being published. Every time I made people laugh, it was like fuel for my soul. I started to feel a little more confident, like maybe I could very cautiously think about putting myself back in the game. So I asked Jamila if I could come to Mamma Mia and do an internship. I was nervous about my weight, but I wanted to write and Mamma Mia was giving me a chance. So when Jamila agreed, I put on my most stylish black muumuu and went for it. The only thing I remember about my first day is meeting Mia Friedman, the founder and publisher of Mamma Mia. She edited Dolly when I was reading Dolly and then Cosmo when I was reading Cosmo. I'd been looking at her face in magazines since I was a kid. And when she walked into the office and saw me, she knew my damn name – "'Rosie!' she exclaimed, arms opened wide for a hug. "'I'm such a huge fan! I'm so glad you're here interning!' I was a little taken aback. Not only was Mia Friedman saying words to me that sounded a lot like my name, she had just given me a freaking hug. We clicked straight away. She would single me out in editorial meetings, giving me way more to write than the other interns. We had inside jokes within about 30 seconds of knowing each other. After two weeks, I was offered a job as an editorial assistant. A few months later, I was promoted to editor of an entire section of the website. I had taken a minor chance, and it had paid off in a major way. I went from hiding in my room, working in a call centre and watching TV, to being an editor at the biggest women's website in the country. I went from Jamila literally having to drag me to drinks after work to organising entire office social functions myself. I was starting to feel more like myself than I had in years. I was laughing again and I was making other people laugh, which I loved more than anything. But still, the weight. I couldn't get the weight out of my mind. I was achieving so much and I still felt worthless because of my damn weight. So one night I wrote an article saying how depressed I was about how I looked. I admitted I was fat and included photos, I know the word admitted sounds strange because everybody who sees you obviously knows that you are, but I honestly thought that if I saw as few people as possible and covered up around the ones I couldn't avoid, nobody would ever have to know. Everybody would still think of me as the old Rosie, the thin Rosie, and in the meantime I would lose the weight and they would be none the wiser. So writing a piece about my obesity and the reality of how it had affected my life was a massively revealing moment for me. Having it published on Mamma Mia sealed the deal. I was fat, and now everybody knew. I thought I would be mortified. After all, this was the exact humiliating situation I had been trying to avoid. But my world didn't collapse. The majority of people weren't horrible. Old friends reached out to me and didn't mention my weight at all. I'm not sure what I was expecting. Probably something like, Dear Rosie, you're massive now. Gross. Regards, your old friend Jimmy. Writing that piece and receiving such a positive reaction was like dipping my toe even further into the water of life. Inch by inch, I was stepping more into the game. I admitted I was fat and my world didn't implode. People still read my writing, still thought I had value and something to offer regardless of my size. That was a big deal for me. I started to have crazy thoughts, like maybe I deserved to be loved and valued in spite of my weight. I decided to make loving myself the goal rather than weight loss – I began seeing an eating disorder specialist who focused on health and not size. And at that point in time, health was getting me to a place where I felt good about myself at any size. Health, for me, was building my self-esteem, which for years had been non-existent. These were difficult concepts to comprehend since women basically have it drummed into them from birth that their looks are the most important thing about them. But recalibrating what I considered worthy changed my life. I was a survivor. I had made it through a crazy childhood, worked incredibly hard to fix my mental health, got a degree, and was now a popular writer at a major website. I began to write a lot about self-acceptance and self-love and the importance of teaching girls that they are more than their appearance. I was finally kicking life's ass. Who gave a fuck if I was fat? I had that attitude and was proud of myself for getting there until the day I realised I couldn't wipe my own ass. I had finally come to love myself, but nobody wants to walk around with poo residue between their bum cheeks. I'd also begun to notice that, working in media particularly, my looks were something that seemed to matter. Despite being surrounded by incredible women at Mamma Mia who loved me and supported me and gently coaxed me out of a very dark place in my life, despite my rising success, despite having what was probably the healthiest attitude towards my body and food in years, I couldn't control what other people valued in me and a lot of people only saw fat when they looked at me, which fucking sucked. It seemed so unfair that after coming so far in my quest for self-acceptance, after jumping so many hurdles in an effort to love and value myself for the right reasons, there was still one hurdle that I would never have any control over. I could never control what other people valued about me. Also, there was the whole bum-wiping thing. So, reluctantly, I organised to get weight loss surgery – I was so ashamed at the time and so pissed off because I felt like I was doing it more for other people than for me. And even though a bunch of health reasons had contributed to my weight gain and made it difficult for me to lose weight naturally, I still felt like I was betraying people. I'd gone through such an attitude transformation and I had encouraged so many Mamma Mia readers to do the same. I waxed lyrical about loving yourself no matter what, and now I was sneaking off for five weeks to have 80% of my stomach removed." But whenever I felt like I was doing the wrong thing or that I was betraying the self love sisterhood, I reminded myself of one important fact Rosie, you can't wipe your own goddamn ass. When I woke up from the surgery, I kept insisting my name was Oprah and demanding to know if I was skinny yet. I spent a week in hospital in a lot of pain, followed by three weeks at home, paid because that's kind of brilliant boss Mia Friedman is, drinking nothing but clear liquids. It was hell. I cannot describe the torture that is desperately wanting to eat something but physically not being able to. I mostly just sat in bed feeling very sorry for myself, watching TV and dreaming about the steak that I would never eat again. The next year was just as hard. It took months before I could even think about eating solid food and even then the tiniest amount would make me vomit. I felt sick all the time. I was scared to eat in restaurants in case I suddenly needed to spew. There was also a lot of emotional fallout that came with throwing up being such a regular part of my life again, since I had worked so hard to stop doing that voluntarily. But I lost a ridiculous amount of weight and will probably continue to do so. I don't know exactly how much I've dropped because I refuse to weigh myself. I don't want that number to mean anything to me ever again. I'm relieved, though, that I really took the time to learn how to love myself because my body is definitely different now. Losing weight quickly does things to you. Freaky things. I'm certainly a lot thinner, but everything is squishy and stretched and droopy now. My boobs look like two sandwich bags that have been half filled with custard. My stomach is covered in stretch marks and hangs down like a sad roly poly dog. I can take the skin under my arms and stretch it out like Play Doh. And let's not even get into my droopy fooper situation. But I honestly don't care. Coming to work at Mamma Mia gave me the confidence to learn that my weight and my body aren't the most important things about me. Gaining 90 kilos was the experience that taught me to love myself, to really love myself, and that is probably one of the greatest things that's ever happened to me. Would it be nice to look like Gemma Ward? Sure, but I have an incredible brain and the ability to write, and I make people laugh pretty much every day. I wouldn't give that up for anything. Those are the things I've learned to value." Also, I'm going to have the rare privilege of ageing without freaking the fuck out. I've already lived most people's aesthetic worst nightmare. Getting old is going to be a walk in the park for me. And I really can't stress this one enough. It is such a fucking relief to be able to wipe my own ass. Well, that's that one, Mama. You hated when I was fat. You hated it so much.
1: Hmm, only, only for your sake. What do you mean by that? I, I just felt so desperately sad that you'd become so huge and you were huge.
0: Yeah, I was, and, at, when I got surgery, I was 150 kilos. Yeah, I know. And I then massive.
1: And like it seemed, every time I saw you, you were even bigger. Mm. And I just thought, oh my God. God, this is just so terrible. You know, she's so young, and her health. My God, I mean, people die early because of morbid obesity. That, you, I didn't care that you were like fat. Yes, you did. It really bothered me. No, yes, absolutely. No, he didn't. Aesthetically, no, it, didn't. it really bothered me. Aesthetically, I don't give a shit. Oh, you're yeah, right. Your father was fat. I don't care about people being fat. Thank you very much. You cared about me being fat. Be- for your
0: own good. The thing that bothers me with the weight you. gain is, yes, everybody says that. But, well, it does. Well, That it's not entirely accurate. I mean, I... it is accurate. I was incredibly unwell with an eating disorder. And it was like nobody... To people, it, it was like nobody cared about that. And it was, like, people just looked at me and assumed because of my size that I was, like, really unhealthy and really unwell. And they didn't ever stop to consider that there was more going on than me just eating too much. Like, I had been bulimic, really badly bulimic, since drama school. Like, I was hiding vomit all over my room, you know what I mean? And... When I developed hypothyroidism, the bulimia, it was like all of a sudden the binges I would go on, I, would, I wouldn't, it, it, I just kept gaining so much weight. It just kept piling on and on and on and on and on. And getting the weight loss surgery, I don't know if it was, I mean, it made me look a lot different, but I don't know if it was the healthiest thing I, I could have done. Messed with my head.
1: Well, what else could you have done? You would have just got bigger and bigger because because the compulsive eating was the problem. I know you had problems with your thyroid. Yeah, but... But that only takes into consideration a certain amount of the problem overall.
0: But when I got the weight loss surgery, it makes you throw up all the time. And that really triggered my bulimia again. And so that is actually really unhealthy. But... I started losing weight, and people just automatically assumed that I was so much healthier. But actually, it, like, triggered me off into an eating disorder again, which was bad. Really bad. Weight loss surgery is awful. Like, it's... You can't eat anything, and then when you finally can eat stuff, you just throw up, and, like, it... I don't know. Part of me wishes I'd never done it.
1: But it... But- like, six months ago, you were considering having further surgery done.
0: No, only because with my thyroid problems, like, it's even with the surgery, I haven't lost as much weight as a, as a regular person would on this surgery. Like, I was always, it was always going to be harder for me. My surgeon told me that. My endocrinologist told me that. It's always going to be a lot harder for me than other people who get this surgery but I just I consider that not because it's like my weight is important to other people not really to me and that's what makes me angry about it like I it's like in the job that I have now and I get offered stuff on TV and I you know I'm in the public eye a lot and it's like it would make people more comfortable if I was a lot thinner I'm still chubby I'll always be chubby but like it the weight loss surgery it just it triggered a whole bunch of eating problems and psychological eating problems that I hadn't had in a while it just really triggered it all
1: so how is one to control those (laughs) I don't know problems the, the the bulimia when you've had the surgery I Does don't know, it, it's do hard. You, so you automatically, you're automatically you automatically sick if you eat too much, and you know that? So you just eat too much? Is that how it goes, or No, what, what it's happens? like
0: you haven't – I don't know when it's coming. Like, sometimes I'll be eating, and I'll just have, like, just one bite too much so you without realising yeah, so, it, and so, I
1: puke. So you don't intentionally do it, so it's not – No, but event. what
0: I'm trying to – no, I'm not saying – what I'm trying to tell you is – when you have been making yourself throw up for years, oh, it's just and dramatic. you finally get a handle on that and you stop doing it. Like I finally, when I was at my biggest, psychologically, I was when it came to food, I was healthier than I'd ever been. Like I finally had a healthy attitude towards food. I wasn't making myself throw up anymore. And then as soon as I had the weight loss surgery, it makes you throw up so much that it just triggered that in me again. Do you, do you
1: know what I mean? Yeah, no, like, I understand. It must, must have been shocking.
0: It was really hard because... Because,
1: like, throwing up, it's not a pleasant thing, is it?
0: No, and then because it happens involuntarily mm. after you've had this surgery, I don't know, it was like something about spewing all the time re-triggered that impulse in me. So then I started making myself do it again. Oh, and so that was really unhealthy. And so yeah. I was losing all this weight and everyone was saying, oh my God, like you look amazing. You're so much healthier now. I'm like, you don't know that I'm healthier now. I'm actually way less healthy than what I was when I was 150 kilos because psychologically it really fucked me up. But people don't care about that. They think if you're thin, you're healthy. But it actually... Messed with my head really badly that surgery, and it makes me angry that I feel like I have to do it, and that's why six months ago I was considering, because I just had a um, gastric sleeve, and six months ago I was considering getting the full gastric bypass because I was like, Well, oh,
1: apparently that's really hard. that
0: not well, yeah, but because Are you I was take just because and I'm everything? sick of like people.
1: <sighs> it's like it's all that matters to people. So you you're still quite. Affected by all this. Yeah. I'm
0: still big. I'm not as big as what I was, but I'm still big. And it's hard living this way, especially as a woman, especially in the public eye. Like, and it's hard, like, talking to you when you go on and on about how, like, I was so unhealthy. And I try to say to people...
1: But I'm, I don't go on and on about it. I never talk about it. Right talking, now, I'm saying. But we're talking about it now. I'm just saying, statistically, morbidly obese people, which you were, okay, do die very early. It just It's, it's just a fact, Rosie. They are not <laughs> healthy. You don't know that.
0: This is what I'm trying to tell you. I was healthier then well, because okay. you're not considering mental health. Insurance, you're not considering okay. psychological health. They go on statistics, okay? Are you honestly quoting insurance
1: companies statistics ask, they to me? They are. The insurance companies ask how much you weigh when you want to get insurance from yeah, them. Yeah, that's
0: discrimination. No,
1: it's because they've got all the statistics and all the figures from years and years and years about Death
0: rates. They also ask you if you've ever had a mental illness and that way, if you want to have mental health cover, your fucking insurance skyrockets. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because they're shitty. No, 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 yeah. It's discriminatory. Well, yeah, it is. But they have to make money, Do I you suppose. not understand, though, that psychological health is just as important of course as physical health? it is. Health. So then how come you're insisting that I'm healthier now? Like, you don't know. Just because I look thinner doesn't mean I'm healthier I'm- now.
1: I'm not saying you you're psychologically healthy. Well, that's just I'm as not important. No, but there is there's physical health, there's psychological, and health. and they're just as important as each other. Together, they're a combination of both and spiritual, I suppose. And so, when
0: I lost all this weight from the surgery, everybody just assumed I was so much healthier, but they
1: didn't take well, into psychologically, account psychologically. You probably were feeling a bit better because you could wipe your own arse, Rosie.
0: This makes you so angry. It doesn't make
1: me angry. Yes, it
0: does. I mean, yeah, I was big and I didn't want to be that big. Of course I didn't. It's fucking hard when you can't wipe your own ass and you can't wear clothes and people yell at you when you walk down the street or whatever. But, like, all I'm trying to say is psychologically, mentally, I was a lot healthier then than
1: what I was after the surgery. But I don't understand how you can say that. Why? Because you were binge eating. That is not normal. You admit to the fact that you were binge eating and throwing up. Mm-hmm. That is not normal. That no, is, but I that had is stopped. not a happy person, Rosanna. I had stopped doing that. In the
0: year before I got the surgery, I'd reached a much healthier place. That's what I'm trying to say to you. I'd gone to an eating disorder specialist. I'd finally dealt with my bulimia. I finally stopped obsessing about food. I'd finally stopped doing this weird thing where I would starve myself for days and then And then just eat shit for days and hide vomit around my room. I'd stopped doing all of that for the year before the surgery. And I got to this place where I finally felt good about myself and I valued other things about myself. But I just felt like I had to get the surgery for mainly for outside reasons. For other people. Yeah. And then... After the surgery, I reverted back to all those food problems that I had, to all the all the bulimia came back, like, and I'd been so much mentally healthier in the year before that. So all I'm saying is people get so like up on their high horses about how the surgery was the best thing I could have done. And I'm so much healthier now. And I try to explain to them like, I had finally, gotten to a healthy place in my head when it came to my attitude towards food, I'd stopped making myself throw up. And then I had the surgery and I just started doing all of that again. And that's not healthy. Probably
1: because you're more inclined to throw up with your surgery because your stomach is so tiny and you've got to be careful with the amount you eat. That's what I'm saying. Well, it, it just triggers ha- it. But it, it was, but yeah, I know, but it was automatic. It wasn't actually bulimia per se. You know what I mean?
0: No, it wasn't, but it triggered the bulimia back.
1: So have you got bulimia to to this day? Yeah. Oh, really?
0: Yeah. Okay. Mm. Well. And that's not healthy. No, I know it's not healthy. But I look the way people want me to look. Well, actually, I'm still not as thin as people would like, but I look different to what I did. It just, I don't know. And it's really interesting, interesting, depressing, because I was thin my whole life. Like, well, you know, I just never had a weight problem. Me- none of us have, me and my sisters, like none of your daughters were ever big. Um, I was never super skinny, but I was always just normal. And so I went from being thin and attractive to being very big very quickly. And I don't think a lot of people get to experience both sides of that coin. Like uh, most people who are quite big have been big their whole lives. And... Yeah, it's true. And I went from... Yeah, most of them haven't been like... I went from knowing how it soon. felt to be very attractive, to have lots of romantic attention to taking the fact that I was really pretty for granted and then I didn't realise, and then when I got really big really quickly, I didn't realise, it's really obvious how differently you're treated when you go from being thin to being fat.
1: Oh, yeah. It's awful. People are the worst. It's like those, those shows where people, they have the fat suits And they do experiments, social experiments Mm. with people without them and with and how they're treated totally differently.
0: um, I remember
1: I was so upset you went into the city to meet Jacob. Oh, and I didn't get into a bar. At at that nightclub. Yeah. And they wouldn't let you in. Oh, Oh, that happened
0: to me all the time. Oh, my
1: God. I was just devastated. Yeah, that happened to me all the
0: time.
1: That's what – I don't give a shit that, that you were fat. And then like it was just the way emotionally, how it was for you. It was just awful. Like I just wanted to like I don't know, Rosie. I just wanted all that to go away. It was just te- it was just heartbreaking to me. but anyway, yeah, absolutely heartbreaking. It's like the bullying at school. Oh, people yell at you. You just want to take pain away from your child. Simple as that. And, like, the yelling. I mean, oh. I can't believe, like, when you're fat, people feel like
0: it's their right to just comment on your body publicly, like, in front of you. Like, I would get people coming up to me on the street. Like, people would yell always, but then I would also get people concern-trolling me, so they would come up to me on the street and say... Hi, I just want to let you know that I tried such and such diet and it really worked for me. Like, are you fucking kidding? I don't know <laughs> you. Like, what? Like, people would do that to me all the time. Well, it's it was better awful. than having
1: people scream at you and abuse no, you. No, it's isn't not. It? No,
0: it's not actually. It's probably.
1: Well, oh, it's I'd worse never go in a way. I say anything like that, but.
0: I was awful. Like I, people, your body just becomes like this. I mean, as a woman, your body's essentially public property anyway, but when you're fat, people think that like, it's like you're betraying them. You're betraying your role as a woman by not looking the way you're meant to look. And it makes them really angry. It, that was what really surprised me is how angry I made people. They were just so angry at me for being so big and you don't, and nobody would consider the. Why I was like, yeah, but what you know, went they, into they do, it. It, to, they
1: do <coughs> it to males as well. People, have no, it's not the identity, same,
0: it's not the same. Men's bodies are well not, the same, no, it's it? not. Oh my god, I can't believe you're even saying that. It is not the same. Men's bodies are not treated as an aesthetic commodity the way women's are. No, it's well, not no, not the same. I
1: didn't, I'm not disagreeing with that, Rosanna. Well, men can be fat shamed, but I mean, basically, it is not as bad. A great A great big fat woman is thought of as asexual sort of thing. They don't you're not thought of in a sexual manner. I don't think. No, you're not at all. You're not even thought of in a human manner. No, people don't even think
0: you're a human. But a man can like you look at someone like you know Jack Black or I don't know what's his name Jonah Hill or Seth Rogen or I mean it's men are allowed to be big. And they're they're considered attractive. They have... I mean, the most famous sitcom, like, formula of the last 20 years is of a really fat, unattractive guy having a super hot wife who puts up with him, even though he's schlubby (laughs) and the worst. Can you imagine that being reversed? I mean, the one episode of Girls where Lena Dunham had a weekend affair with Patrick Wilson, who's considered one of the most attractive men on the planet, people wrote entire think pieces about how that episode had to be a dream sequence because there is no way in real life he would ever have had sex with her. People really? could not believe that that episode was actually just her having sex with a hot guy. They were oh, like, no, that that episode was Lena Dunham dreaming.
1: Yeah, right? Yes, a, it is. It is, yeah, Mother. It's terrible. It's but terrible. She, she wasn't particularly large. No, she wasn't, and people still couldn't believe it. That's terrible. I haven't watched it. I just... Oh, no, no. I mean, I haven't watched it, and I I didn't read what you read, so... (gasps) That's terrible.
0: This is, you know, it's just...
1: It's terrible, It's,
0: yeah, but uh, I could talk about this all day, honestly, but I just... It does upset me when people who you really love and care about don't seem to understand that your size doesn't equate to your health. You are happier that I'm thinner without considering any other factors.
1: No, I, I, what I said. You think
0: th- I'm healthier because I'm thinner. The
1: combination of psychological health and physical health is important. Both of them. Yeah, they are. Go hand but- in hand. Not just physical health by itself. But I think people would rather that So you prefer it if you were huge and psychologically you were... Um, happier? Happier. I think so, yeah. But I don't understand how being huge and, like you say, not being able to wipe your bottom could possibly make you happy. People don't understand that. Well, how... Isn't that... What made you do something about it is the fact you couldn't wipe your own bum. Yeah, I mean, that was. That was. That's
0: pretty extreme. Yeah, that was part of it. But mostly it was everybody else who made me feel like I had to do it. And when I told people I was doing it, like when I told you, when I told Mia, when I told, like, people were so excited that I was doing it. I was so happy that I was doing it.
1: I was just concerned for you. Any mother would be for a child who is in such a precarious situation. Why? Especially psychologically. You were obviously desperately unhappy. No, I wasn't. You were bulimic. Yeah.
0: I wasn't, though, for the year before I had the surgery. I'd, I was psychologically the healthiest I'd ever been when it Why came to my she diet. didn't you continue and seeing that,
1: that dietician? Because I couldn't afford it. She was really expensive. Well, it was probably really important. You should have kept seeing her. Well, I couldn't afford it.
0: She told me not to get surgery. She thought it was a terrible idea. She thought it was going to um take well, she gets- the steps back that yeah, I had. But-
1: she gets paid. Achieved. She no, gets paid that's to not have, why. She gets paid to have people like that's to not, tell people that no, don't have the surgery. No, she does your weight, not. Your She's an eating fine. disorder. You're unhealthy, but you know. Oh, you're psychologically healthy. Oh my god, you are so close-minded about
0: this. No, I'm not. Yes,
1: you are. Like I said, the statistics. Yes, you are. The statistics don't lie. This is what I
0: mean. So maybe we should leave
1: it at that because I'm going to disagree with you. I am sorry. Leave it at that. It's a combination, like I said, of of physical and psychological concerns. You are
0: such a concern troller. We'll have to. And I don't think you realize how harmful what you're saying is. What do you mean? It's really harmful. Why? Because it's upsetting, and harmful. It's upsetting.
1: Well, I'm not going to change
0: my mind. I'm sorry. Do people not realise that fat shaming isn't going to... I'm not gonna, fat
1: shaming! It
0: isn't going to force someone to I lose weight? I am not fat shaming. No way in the world. You're saying that you think I'm healthier when I'm thinner.
1: I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. Anyway, whatever.
0: That's why it's... Yeah. It's upsetting, Mum.
1: Okay, I'm very sorry I've upset you, but like I said, I'm not changing my mind. I'm
0: very sorry I've upset you,
1: but... <laughs> I'm not, I'm not... That That is my opinion. I'm sorry. I'm allowed, I am allowed to have an opinion.
0: It's a harmful opinion. It's a hurtful opinion. And it's also pretty obvious that it's... An opinion based on aesthetics and health doesn't have anything to do with size. It just doesn't.
1: Well, like I said, look at the, the statistics.
0: Oh, right. Yeah. Look at insurance company statistics. Well, they're the
1: experts. <laughs> They've got all the statistics on um, early death, premature death, Rosanna. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. They do. Mm, okay. Anyway. Yep.
0: I don't want to talk about this anymore. Okay, good. Okay. I'm done with this one. Can we move on?
1: When you started your website, just just hearing you talk about that, my pride. I could just feel it like welling oh, just up now, inside me. It. It. Yeah, when you were reading that before, the earlier, yeah. be- at the beginning of the chapter.
0: I just knew I was...
1: I knew I was a good
0: writer and I would read just some of the shit online and it ac- it just got to this point where I was like, I could easily do that. And then I wrote that piece about wanting to have a elective C-section, like, I get so embarrassed reading that now because it's like, I was literally pandering to what I thought they would publish, like... I just thought, okay, I can get – I can write like that. I can get something published on it. I can write, like, a provocative article that'll piss a lot of women off, and <laughs> you know, and so
1: I I wrote that, like – And you went oh, on to write quite specifically. a few of them,
0: didn't you? Oh, yeah. It w- yeah, like, it was – yeah. Well, because that's the nature of what you do there. You have to have opinions every day, which got a bit exhausting. But, um, yeah, I – I just, I knew that I could write that, and so I did. And then, I don't know, I think I, rem- I offered remember. me a job. And I remember
1: so. when, I think Rhiannon told me that you, you'd you had something published on this thing called Mamma Mia, and mm. I didn't even know, I hadn't even heard of Mamma Mia. I hadn't either. I was never on the computer. So yeah. I, mean, I, I had no idea what it was. I hadn't heard of and it the, either. the enormity of it, how it would change your life. It really did. Yeah, it did.
0: Mia and Jamila really did change my whole life. Yeah, but the thing is, it was because of your talent. Well, yeah, I know, but they saw it and they and they supported me and I was so nervous. Like I was I'd I'd literally just been in my room and working at the call center and I was like as a person, I was like so shy and so oh. and petrified of everything and like they were very um patient and understanding with me and i think they thought like
1: it's such it's such a fantastic story you know that what i was listening to that no i was listening to that that you were you'd re- you'd read something and you thought that's bloody crap i can do better than that <laughs> and I can just picture you. I could just uh, picture you because you still you were still in the same house, weren't you? Were you still uh, in the new same town. house? Oh, Newtown. I could just picture you in your room writing a writing something. How mm. long did it take you to write that piece of shit? Yeah. Oh, an hour. Jesus. And then it only took till the next day for them to say, "Can we publish it?" Yeah. How did you feel? Like, no, I was what really happy. You you you, Tony took me you out. You would have been
0: so proud. Tony took me out for champagne. Oh, wow. To celebrate. Yeah. And then and then my own blog started getting a lot of traffic, not just because Tony kept tweeting things about Justin Bieber. <laughs> a oh, link did to my he blog. really do that? Yeah. <laughs> he was like my publicist. Uh, but um, no, because I started getting a. I started. Writing stories on there every day. So many funny. St- like I just something about finally writing again.
1: Yeah. Plus you had you had the audience because you did the domain name and all that. So you knew you ha- you had an audience out there. To, someone, people to actually write. Well, to, I was writing a lot rather than in a journal or a I diary. I was probably writing
0: something every day. And then I think Mamma Mia thought we should just get her to write.
1: For us, wow! Well, they must of... have been so happy to find you, Rosie. Um, yeah, probably. Probably it's... someone like you wouldn't come come along that often, you know.
0: I don't know. That makes oh, me feel like a dick know. saying that. No, I'm I'm sure... I said it.
1: I said it. Not you. I'm your mother. I'm I... allowed to say that. I'm sure lots of
0: people are just as talented. I mean i I think it was opportunity and talent and luck, kind of all came together do you know what I mean like it was it all just kind of worked out perfectly
1: yeah that's for sure and
0: then you know I started recapping The Bachelor and then um, you know then my profile blew up
1: I remember how you, the, all I remember was that you just was so excited about getting that job at David Jones
0: Oh yes, so wouldn't, I wouldn't have to work at Kmart you anymore. You wouldn't have to be at
1: Kmart anymore. <laughs> you get a job at David Jones. You were well. So Mamma Mia was the very it. first
0: job I'd ever had that wasn't in retail no, or a bar.
1: So, yeah, no, I just remember that. And then you got that job and you were really happy. Well, yeah.
0: at first I was still doing both. Cause and who is to
1: know Mama what, Mia what only, would open up in the next year or so?
0: Mamma Mia only hired me two days a week, so at first I was working at David Jones on the other days, and then they hired me full-time as an editorial assistant, and I had no idea what I was doing. I had to, like, run the Twitter account and schedule posts, and, like, they got me to, like, write news, and then after, like, two days, they were like, yeah, we're not going to get you to write news anymore. <laughs> and, um, and then they just, you know, I was good at writing funny stuff, so then they said, okay, you just write all the funny stuff. Mm. And then The Bachelor, they didn't even want me to do that. They... They didn't get it. Like, they, I, I said to them, I can recap this and make it really funny. And they were like, yeah, we're not paying you to watch TV. Like, they didn't oh, no. get it. And so I was doing the Bachelor recaps at home in my own time because they... well, you do it through, be- your, through your domain? No, um, no, no, no. They, or- they were publishing it, but I had to oh, do it at okay. home. It was like, yeah, sure, you can do it, but you can't do it at work. And so I was doing it at home. No, no. And then it became... Popular enough that they started to let me do it at work eventually. Mm. And then, you know, that became quite big. And then I got a book deal and then I wrote about you and now we're here doing this podcast and that's what happened. <laughs> okay. It was big for five five years. Five years. Huge. A lot changed. I literally went from working in a call centre to like – Having my dream job. Quite quickly. It all happened very, very quickly.
1: Incredible.
0: A lot quicker than what I ever would have thought. Mm. For sure. And you know, now I write for
1: TV. It's such a feel good story, Rosie. It really <laughs> is. No, thank God. Thank no. Anyway, <coughs> thank God for Mama Mia. Because this allowed you to Yeah, always the, be to show your talent. I'll always be so
0: grateful for my time there and the opportunity they gave me I mean it launched my career working yeah. there uh, it really did people give them a lot of shit but you know i i it's so that is where my whole life changed working there it's such an inspirational
1: story your story actually because we know, you know there's been a lot of adversity and you've I don't know if it's inspirational. It is Rosanna. Well I'm You don't see it that way because it's like your it's your life, but from what I see it is an inspiring story to a lot of women out there. Thanks, Mum. I love you, darling.
0: Thanks, Mum. You gonna read my second book or what?
1: I'll get round to it. <laughs> I'm so, I like to save things up that you know to, so they last longer. So I haven't read the book yet. Yeah, right, Rosie. It's true. You think it's sad? It's I'm actually probably... a funny book, Mum. Yeah, I know. I've got to. I've got to get. I'm. I'm going to get round to it very like soon. Like it's
0: about Tony, but it's still funny.
1: I'm going to get round to it very very soon.
0: In the next episode. Okay, so we were in a morning editorial meeting. Yeah. And I mentioned that just giving head is just the fucking worst and I hate it. And of course, Mia's eyes lit up and she was like, that's going to get a lot of clicks. You should write that. And so then I wrote it in, you know, a couple of hours. I got so much shit from you. From women. Women were so angry at me. And like, so many women were saying, like, she doesn't speak for all of us. We love it. Like, giving head's the best. I'm like, look, you can like doing something nice for your boyfriend or your partner or whatever. Of yeah, course yeah, that's yeah, enjoyable yeah. to do something nice. But you don't have a clitoris in the back of your throat, so <laughs> yeah. it is not <laughs> physically pleasurable for you to gag, you on a, gag on a dick. Imagine well, then a lot you more girls would want to give heads. <laughs> wouldn't <doesn't> they? <laughs> <laughs> Mum Says My Memoir is a Lie is recorded in the studios of Podcast One. Recording assistance by Felix Bray. Audio production by Nick Slater. Executive producer is Jamie Show. For more episodes, head to podcastone.com.au
1: or download the Podcast One app.